in a world of distractions, we need moments. We need tools. We need apps to help us keep things on track. I don't know about you, but some of the apps, or one of the apps that I use the most, if not the most, is an app on my phone that, that allows me to remind myself of things happening. Because I forget, ask my wife, she'll tell you, I forget almost everything. And so if I don't have, if I don't have something to tell me I need to be at a certain place at a certain time or do something a certain day of the week, I, I can name, I, I could sit here and, and go through a list of things that I went through this morning as I was sitting and preparing and just before I came in here this morning, I went through five things that I forgot to get done for you this week because I didn't put them in my, in my phone to remind me, get this done. And we had, a, we had a meeting. I had a meeting here this week with a couple of people on Thursday night. And so as we were doing that, I had to write things down. I've got to get these items done. I actually got those done because I had an app to remind me, to, to call me out of the distraction of my life, to call me out of the chaos that, that we tend to live in and remember to get them done. So it should be easy for us to understand why God, as he chose his people, the Israelites, why God would have said, I'm going to appoint times for you to set aside, to step out of the chaos, to pull back from all the busyness of life and remember me. Now, granted, their lives are probably a little different than ours. I mean, they didn't have Facebook to watch. They didn't have Netflix to draw their attention. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have all of the kids' sports and all of the events that we take part in. And they didn't have, they didn't have gyms to go to. They didn't have jobs that, that made them work overtime, oh, wait a minute, maybe all of those things just looked a little different back then. I, I doubt they had gyms. I doubt they had Facebook. But certainly they had pressures of life. But we can't assume that we're the only generation that because of our technology, we're the only generation that has ever dealt with the pressures of life. We, we can't assume that. In fact, the fall into sin guarantees us that every generation has dealt with these pressures and has had things vying for their attention and drawing their attention away from God. And so as we've gone through this series, these last several weeks, as we've gone through this series in Leviticus chapter 23, we've attempted, or I've attempted to demonstrate to you how each of the celebrations that God gave the Israelites to observe, each of these festivals that he laid out for them to observe, called them to a moment of worship called them to a time where they set aside days to be, to be consecrated unto him, to be made holy unto him, so that he would equip them for a whole lifestyle of worship, a whole, a whole uh, a mode of worship in all of life, a whole perspective of worship in all that they do. My hope is, my prayer is, is that we've gone through this. You've taken time to think, that to consider how, how while we're not ex exactly adapting and bringing the traditions that they followed, how each of these things demonstrate God's worth even today. The Passover demonstrating that God <clears throat> redeems, that he delivers. The, the feast of unleavened bread, that, that God has, has not just given us unleavened bread, but he has made us unleavened bread. The, the feast of first fruits in that Christ being the first fruit resurrected gives us the hope of life. And because he's not dead in the ground, that we have the hope that one day we won't be dead in the ground. All of these things, all of these, all of these moments that God gave these Israelites allowed them to see God's worth. I hope they've allowed you to see God's worth and allowed you to and, and encouraged you to adopt a posture of worship in all of your life. And today is really no different as we consider the significance of the feast of trumpets. 
We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to begin reading in verse 23. This is probably the, the shortest explanation of all the feasts. This is the shortest in this chapter. There's less written on this, and it's a little difficult. There was, there's some difficulty in, in um, understanding all that they intended for it, or all that God intended for it. But there's still great implication for our life today. Begin reading verse 23 of Leviticus 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with the blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. And you shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. And the Feast of Trumpets is the first of all the fall festivals. It is the Jewish calendar went, there was the weekly festival of the Sabbath. Then there was the fall festivals, which were Passover unleavened bread. That was one. Then there's the first Feast of First Fruits. That's the second. And then the Feast of Weeks, which we talked about last week, or Pentecost. Uh, and that's the last of the spring festivals. Then four months later, they celebrate again. And it starts in the seventh month on the first day, the Feast of Trumpets. And this particular festival is set aside with or or set up as a Sabbath. It's a special Sabbath. It's not the same as the Sabbath that happens every week. Every week they're to observe a Sabbath, but this first day of the month could fall any day of the week, and they were to set it aside and do no ordinary work. It's distinct from the weekly Sabbath in that if you read back, if you go back and you look at the weekly Sabbath and the expectation for that, he says do no work, don't work at all. In this one, he says, do no ordinary work. And so there's a distinction in that some things are allowed on this Sabbath that aren't allowed on others or on the weekly Sabbath. However, so that you've got this distinct Sabbath. And in this festival, in the midst of it, where the others focused more on sacrifices and offerings made, there's certainly those things done in this festival. But the big distinction in this festival was not about offerings. It wasn't about it wasn't about um, the number of animals that were, that were offered up or the grain or the harvest. It was all focused around the sounding of a trumpet. And what we call a trumpet is really a shofar. It's a ram's horn. And you can look them up on YouTube. I actually had downloaded a sound so that you can hear it. It's a, if you've ever heard somebody blow through a ram's horn, you'll know it's kind of an airy sound. But it's sharp and clear and just cuts right through all the other stuff. I mean, if, if, if somebody had come in here with a shofar while we were singing our worship music and blown that trumpet, it would have cut right through and you'd have heard it distinct among all the other music. It's, it's loud and it's, it's, it, it calls people's attention. It, challenges, it, it makes them hear. But here, as they, as they sounded that trumpet, it's said to be a memorial. Well, that's where the difficulty comes in because we're not really told anywhere in Scripture what they were memorializing, what they were remembering. And so there's Jewish tradition that, that, that goes into this, but not all of that tradition even lines up. And then there's theologians that have read those traditions and they, and they add their two cents. And so here's just some of the things that they say that this memorialized or remembered. Some say that it memorialized the war that the peoples of Israel had fought with their enemies, especially remembering the war when they, when they walked around. Well, it wasn't even really a war because the, Jer the people in Jericho had no chance. You know, they're behind the wall, and the Israelites scream, and they blow the trumpets, and the walls come tumbling down, and they're all wiped out. That's not really a war. That's something different. God just devastated that city, and the Israelites 
one and took it and, and saw God work in a mighty way. Well, some people say that those trumpets memorialize that moment when God gave them the promised land. Others suggest that it memorialized the day that Abraham went to offer his, his son Isaac as an offering unto God, as a sacrifice unto God, by God's command, and God stopped him and replaced that or gave a ram in his place. And so it was said that the ram's horn was the only horn that could be blown on this day because it memorialized the events when God provided for the people of Israel and allowed Isaac to be spared. And then others suggest that it was a memorial of the day of creation in which much like a horn, much like a, a horn cutting into the chaos of, of the world as it was, when God first established things, there was chaos, there wasn't any order, and God speaks into it and brings order. And where the waters were, were everywhere and there, 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 was, there was just chaos, God speaks into it, calls light into existence, begins to bring and separate waters from the sky, brings land up from the waters, puts animals and plants, and He speaks and brings order into chaos. And some people say that this horn memorializes the creation. Well, the reality is, is that we don't exactly know. But because of its timing and because of, because of when it fell in the year and, and really more in conjunction with the other festivals, not, not so much the month, but how it fell in place with the other festivals, I think it becomes clear that the, the Feast of Trumpets was a day that uh, it was a day of preparation and a memorial of lives lived in the presence of God. So I think it was more not just about, about what was being remembered then, but about what was happening in their lives as they lived them now. Certainly they remembered all that God had done. All of the festivals called, into that, called that into being in some way, called that into their mind in some fashion. But the Feast of Trumpets was a day of preparation that led them to consider the day that was coming, the Day of Atonement which was probably the most somber of all of the Jewish festivals and probably the most joyous, the Feast of Tabernacles that was coming in the end of the month. Within the next, this, this, this happened to be the most festive month of all of their calendar. There was more festivities, there was more festivals, there was more events, more days to remember in this month than any of the other months. And it was, it was said that this day, this Feast of Trumpets was a sounding of the horn to call all people's attention to this and to prepare them for what was ahead. But in addition, to remind them that they lived in the presence of God every day. So the first mention of this, of the trumpet blast occurs in, in, in all of the Bible. The first mention of the trumpet blast occurs in Exodus. I almost said Ephesians and that's way off. It's like the other end of the Bible. It, it occurs in Exodus, and it occurs, it just so happened that it occurs on the day when God was telling Moses, don't bring the people onto the mountain, but when the trumpet sounds, they can come up to it. Remember, God had, had come down, God had come into the world, and he had approached these people, and he says, and now you can come into my presence at the sound of this trumpet. And that's when they entered into covenant and finalized the covenant. And from that day forward, from that day forward, they were called to recognize that they were living in the very presence of the Creator God. That they were walking with Him in covenant. That they were His people and He was their God. 
That's, that, that, that's, that's the whole idea behind it, that, that not only were they being prepared, but they were being called into His presence. And as they were being called into His presence, they were being called into His rest. You see, every other culture, every other, every other worldview, every other person outside of the people of God has to recognize if they are not appealing themselves to God or they are not making themselves approved by God or they are not in some way measuring up to His standards that they must work to get there. They must, they must at some level believe that I have to be good enough to get something from this God or I have to be good enough for, for nature or I have to be... Uh, a, a good person and do good works so that the cosmos brings me good things. Otherwise, there is no order. I mean, it's, it's all just luck and just chance and, and, and there's no hope and no peace and no, no times for comfort. I mean, if, if that's all you have, if all you have is outside of God, it, it's either going to be work for it or decide there's no order or no no, nothing put together, there's no plans, there's no purposes, there's, there's nothing. And we might all just be a big dream. It may not even really exist. But if you decide there's a God, but you, you don't see how He came and He, he called and, and, and with the blast of a trumpet called the people into His presence and called them into His rest, then you must work for Him. You must please Him. You must live up to His standard. It's a difficult world. It's a world I, I, I don't know. As, as I know the truth, I, it's in a world I know I wouldn't want to live in. But he called them and he prepared them to be in his presence. And he called them into his presence. And then he calls them, as, as, at the same time, he calls them into his rest. And today, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I know. I, you heard me say I believe that all generations have felt the pressure of life and help and felt the the weight and and the the attention the the seeing their attention drawn to so many other things and seeing their hearts given to so many other things than the Creator God. But my goodness, I think about our, our our time that we live in. I think about the world we live in, and how so desperately everything vies for our attention, and how so desperately everything draws our attention away, even those things that might be good and noble. We, we, in our hearts, make them ultimate and, 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 and hold a higher purpose and a higher place than they should. And today, we desperately need to hear the blast of the trumpet calling us into, to, to be prepared to walk with God, to, to be in His presence and to, to, to sit in His rest. We, we constantly live connected. We constantly have connections. We're never more than a click away from Facebook or Twitter. We're never more than just a, a few minutes away for a few seconds away from seeing a message, an email. We, we, have, we have so much information that swirls around us, we might as well be swimming in it. It's as thick as the air we breathe on a very humid day. The information is everywhere and we're constantly connected. And so much of it is irrelevant and distracting. There's really just a few things that are of utmost importance. And we live constantly connected to this. And we have modern conveniences that make our life so convenient that we can fill it with more modern conveniences. 
So much so that we become tied to these modern conveniences that, that we have to begin to maintain the modern conveniences because without the modern conveniences, our life is no longer convenient. Maybe it's not convenient, as convenient as we think it is anyway. Oh, there's so many things. Hear me today. And see, I think this message that this, that this opportunity that I have this morning is much like it would have been that day on the Feast of Trumpets when the, when the man stood and he blasted the horn in the village for all to hear. Be ready. Come into God's presence and sit at His feet and rest. Hear His call. Hear the gospel message blast into your ears. Because in the gospel message, we've been given rest. Let it invade the midst of your chaos and help you see God's rest. It's a call to set aside our works to impress others, to to find ourselves acceptable to other people. It's a time that we can can just uh, give up looking to measure up to the standards of the world. And the standards of a God that we have in some ways created ourselves. You see, the gospel message shows us God's rest. How how different might your life be? How different might your life be if you truly understood the rest that God had provided you in the gospel? How, How different Would your motives be in your actions? How how different would you be? How different would your perspectives be? What, what, What would change in your motivations? If in the gospel message you recognize God's protection, His provisions, His acceptance, His approval, how different would you be? How how different would it be for you to set aside a time, and I'm not not saying set set aside a a time to go on vacation, but how different would it be for you to set aside a time, a physical time, to disconnect from the world and allow yourself to be overwhelmed to hear the gospel call? How different would every day become if you decided for just one day. Now, I've struggled with this in my life. I just want to be honest with you. I'm a doer. I'm somebody, in fact, it wasn't up until just a few months ago as I was beginning to think through how these messages would be preached and I recognized my lack of Sabbathing and resting in God. I recognized I was not regularly taking time off. And in a physical way, you know, that's, that's a law. Well, you don't have to have a day off every week and to prove to God you got the gospel. He loves you anyway. But because I've got the gospel, I should be able to take time off and trust God to do His work. See, it's because of the gospel that I can rest. And it's a difficult thing for me, but this is a thing that I think that we need to hear. That we, His church, need to hear. I'm not, I'm not saying rest from ministry. I'm not saying rest from mission. I'm saying rest from the junk that's in the world. Rest from all the chaos, all the stuff that draws our attention. Rest from it. Disconnect from it. Because I think what will happen, what I believe, what I'm con- convinced will happen, 
you take a time and you rest in the gospel and you sit under its message and under its teaching. When you step back into the world, you won't go with the intent of filling your life with this stuff. But you enter into your day of work and into your into your time at a grocery store and living in a, and going about in your neighborhood and, and going to restaurants and you'll recognize that that's a place, in fact, that you can sit and rest in God's provision. And because you're there resting in God every moment, you'll have opportunity to to lead others to worship God and to see the rest that comes through the gospel. There's a song, and it's, I came across this song as I prepared for the very first funeral I ever preached. And one of the phrases has stuck with me. It says, lay your deadly doing down. Down at Jesus' feet. You see, our doing outside of the gospel rest is death. But because of the gospel, and I'm not simply speaking, I'm speaking of all of the gospel. I'm, I'm speaking from beginning to end, God's message from creation to restoration. All of his word is good for you and provides rest. Hear this call today. Sit and rest in Him. We so desperately need it. We don't just need to recognize His rest, though. We need to recognize His presence. See, the gospel message is a call unto, into God's presence. It, it's, just, it's, it's not meant just to make us feel good about life. It's not something that's meant to just give us this fluffy feeling about, oh, well, this is, this is such a good thing. Absolutely, I want you to have the fluffy feeling. That's just the kind of guy I am. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to have fun. I want you to feel fluffy. But the reality is, is I want you to recognize that you walk every day in the presence of God. Every day. Every moment. The moment that you heard the gospel call was the moment that you were called into His rest and into His presence. And from that moment, like the Israelites at the mountain, at the base of the mountain, from that moment forward, you're called to recognize you walk in His presence. How different would our lives be if we practiced this discipline? As we heard His Word and recognized that everything we do, every action we take, every thought we have, every every way we use our time, every way we spend our money, every, everything we, we uh, consider doing, all of the plans we're making. We are walking in His presence. How different would your life look? How different would it look if you took a time and you set it aside and you sat and rested in His gospel and told yourself and reminded yourself as you hear His word, that not only in that moment you're, you're in His presence, but every moment, you, believers in Jesus Christ, followers of the way, you are walking in the presence of God. No longer having to measure up, but because He's done this for you, how different would your life look? There's a, a book that was written as of a man from the 1600s. That he, they called him Brother Lawrence. And the book was written, it's called uh, Practicing the Presence of God. 
I'm gonna, there's a subtitle. Let me make sure I get it right. Practicing the presence of God, the best rule for a holy life. And Brother Lawrence, in that book, shares that his discipline for life and the, the reason that people came to, to meet him and, and know him and, and ask of him things was because they recognized the peace in him. They recognized the distinction in him from so many other people. And he said in his book that the reason that that came to be was that every day he sought to practice the presence of God, to remind himself that he walked in God's presence. And when asked how he did that, how did you come about this discipline? How did you practice this discipline? He told him, everything that takes away my attention from God, I cut it out of my life. I'm not asking you to go home and shut off your Twitter feed or call city utilities and, and tell them you want to turn off your electricity. I'm not saying that we shouldn't enjoy some of the modern conveniences in life. But hear Him and recognize the gospel call. If it draws your attention away from God, it is not a good thing no matter how much you enjoy it. Some people can do sports. And they can have that as a part of their life and they can enjoy it. I heard a preacher say, I can't do sports because they become too important to me. I don't, I don't watch rated R movies, I, typically. If, if some, some rated R movies I will watch, but typically there's, there's movies that I don't watch. I have standards for movies I watch and don't watch because I know that they're going to draw me to a place where I don't honor God with my life. In fact, if a movie if it says it has nudity in it, it's just off the list. Don't ask me to go with you. I'm not going to go. Um, don't, don't ask me if I've seen a movie that is, is based on sexual innuendo and just makes like a bunch of the, a bunch of the movies we see today, that I'm not going to watch them. We, we looked at a movie last night on Redbox, an Adam Sandler movie. Can't remember the name of it. Something about my son looked hilarious, but man, there was so much in the, in the trailer that I found dishonoring to God that I knew if I'd watched it, I'd be laughing at things that don't make him happy, that don't please him, that don't honor him. See, I walk in the presence of God. You walk in the presence of God. How different would our lives look if we heard the gospel message and recognized that we walk in his presence every day? Oh, I desperately want you to hear, church, this call, like the call of the day that the trumpet blew. I want you to hear this call. It's calling you into His presence. It's reminding you of His presence. It's calling you to His rest. And it's reminding you of His rest. We need it. We have nothing to offer a lost world except the gospel and the holiness that comes from it. Shouldn't that be the thing that they see in us? And make comment about us? Shouldn't that be the mark of who we are as a church? You see, it's not my intention that we draw a crowd to the show. I want us, I want us to see people come because they recognize the work of God in us as a people. So hear the call of the gospel. Like the horn on the day of the Feast of Trumpets. It's calling you and reminding you of His presence. It's calling you and reminding you of His rest. And it's calling you to be ready. It's calling you to be prepared. You see, because there's a day coming when the last trumpet will sound. In 1 Corinthians 
Chapter 15, verse 51, it says, 51 and 52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. You see, we're called into the rest. We're called into the presence. We're reminded of these things. But don't forget that this isn't the end. That there's going to be something that succeeds the, the gospel call. And the moment that Jesus comes back and the last trumpet sounds, that moment could be any moment. Be ready, the trumpet says. Be ready. And see, many times people ask me, well, how do you, how do you approach things like the, like the end of times? How do you view those? Well, instead of giving big theological terms, I like to say this. I strive to live my life like Jesus could come back any moment because I believe he could. The apostles, the, the people who wrote the Bible, they talked about Jesus coming back in, in with such a sense of urgency that that dominated much of what they wrote. He could come back any time. Be ready. But I also recognize that we should be living in such a way that, that if Jesus doesn't return in the next breath we take, that we should be leave, leaving a legacy and letting the gospel call go out. That others are called into his rest. That others are called into his presence. That others are called to be prepared. We're called into his rest. We're reminded of his rest. We're called into his presence. We're reminded of his presence. And we are called to be ready for that final call when that last trumpet sounds. And I think we're called to let others know that there's a last trumpet going to sound and that they too need to be ready. Let's pray. And Father God, you are good and you're gracious. You're loving. We're, we are unworthy of that. And we recognize that, God. We recognize that it's only by your work that we are able to know you. And God, I just pray. I pray for this church. I pray for the holiness of this people, God. You've made us holy. And, and your word tells us that clearly, that you have made us holy. But then you call us to live that holy life. To live in accordance with the call. God, I, I pray. I pray for these people. The people you've given me to shepherd, God that they would hear this trumpet blast. And that they would adopt a discipline that reminds them to walk in your presence every day, to sit at your feet and rest, to be ready for what's ahead. God, I pray for, for people who are here that are hurting, that are disconnected, that, that God, that have things going on in their life that they, they don't get, they don't understand, that they're struggling with. Pray, God, that they'd be reminded of all you've done and all that you've promised you will do. That we might celebrate you, God. That we might honor you with our words, with our actions, with our life. So all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.